All right, good morning. If you would, join me, Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. We took a one-week break from Romans as we allowed uh, Brother Brian Waters uh, to update us, introduce himself, all those things, and then preach to us last week. So I definitely appreciate him doing that. Romans 6 this morning. And as I was standing there, kind of had a thought. Um, Well, several One is, I really like uh, the songs we sang today, and I'm glad we sang them. Another way, I wish we hadn't, because I did the new member class, and then I slipped back here, and I thought, I'm going to stand in the back, because I rushed over from the new member class in the other building, and just did some final little things, and got ready to come in here, make some announcements, and then I kind of went to the back, and I thought, I'm going to look over my notes kind of real quick to preach, and then they sang that first song, and that kind of messed me up, because I'm like, well, I'll... We'll just study the notes later. There was no later. I'm in it now because uh, need to get in the songs. Uh, the difficult thing is last night we had our ceiling fan on to about 3.30 when I finally realized, man, my throat is really dry. And so I got up and flipped that thing off uh, before it made it worse. So if I end up kind of dry mouthed a little bit and going to the water a lot and coughing, I hope that doesn't happen, but you'll know why. I'm not sick. I just had the ceiling fan right over us half the night, but... Uh, but I was standing there a while ago, and the thought hit me, you know, just a month ago, I celebrated my 38th birthday, and um, uh, some of you are saying, dude, no offense, but he looks a little older than 38. Uh, it's my spiritual birthday, okay? My 38th spiritual birthday in June of last, uh, just last month. Uh, been born again, saved, uh, in Christ, as you'll hear us refer to, for 38 years. And so I was kind of thinking, that's my story. Anybody in here been saved over 50 years? I'm just curious. If that's you, raise your hand. I see some of the ones I thought would fit that. Anybody over, I'm going to get crazy, anybody over 60 years? Brother Don, Miss Martha, uh, several. All right, I'm not going any higher than that. All right. You say, why are you doing that? Because I know from just being observant this morning, we have a whole range in our auditorium this morning of Christians ranging from 60-some and upward to nine-day-old Christians. Nine days old, 60-some years. I'm 38. I'm kind of in the middle of all of that. That are in this auditorium right now. And two weeks ago, we launched into a different section of Romans that is very important. Those of you, who was here two weeks ago? Would you raise your hand? I just need to get a quick gauge. This kind of tells me how much. Uh, it looks like two-thirds, so one-third were not. If you remember, if you were here, I encouraged all of us to revisit that message, and it's on the website. I don't normally say that each week. And you should have received an email from Renee if you were not here encouraging to hear that message two weeks ago. We're going to review it a little bit. Now, today's review is going to be even longer than normal. It will be the whole first point. It is that important. All right, it's that important. We're in a section of Romans 6 now, moving on to chapter 8, 6, 7, and 8, where we're going to be talking about sanctification. So what's sanctification? Jesus is so holy and righteous that when you got saved... 
He not only, if you remember, we used an analogy of we have to stand before God one day and it's almost as if there's this giant scale and the laws and demands of God are put on one side of the scale and they're very heavy and they slam to the ground. And the way you go to heaven is if you and your righteousness get on the other side of the scale, so there you are, all your goodness, and you jump on the other side, if you can balance that scale. Well, here's the problem. You don't have any righteousness of yourself. There is none righteous. But when we got saved, in essence, what salvation is, you say, I didn't word it that way. What you were doing is saying, Jesus Christ, because you paid for my sins on the cross, and you do have righteousness, you're free to live with God. You are accepted by God. You have no sin And you said you'll do it. Will you get on the scale with me? And so Christ steps on the scale. And he's so righteous, he balances the demands of the law. That's salvation. Sanctification is, he is so holy and righteous that he not only imputes his righteousness to your account so that it's there, imputed spiritually, he's so righteous that he actually, at that moment, for me, 38 years and one month ago, he imparts and implants his righteousness in us so that that righteousness starts to work outward. By the way, you cannot stop it. If you're a real Christian, you just need to get with the flow of it. It is going to happen. He is that righteous. Something as great and as powerful and as holy as God Jesus, his Holy Spirit, does not enter you and you stay the exact same. So I mentioned these ages for this reason. Sanctification is how the Lord is going to give us victory over sin in this life. We will never be perfect, but your life will change from the time you came to Christ until the time he takes you home to be with the Lord. It will change if you really are a Christian. What we're going to look at today, we looked at the first part of three instructions in Romans 6 that Paul is going to give us as Christians. So today's message is geared toward Christians. If you're not a Christian, hang on, listen, hopefully you get salty and and like, man, that kind of makes me thirsty uh, or I wish I had that uh, or maybe it goes way over your head. But I hope something that's said in this will cause you to see I don't have that, I need that. But today's message is for Christians and here I'm going to make a statement. This three instruction formula that Paul is going to give us in Romans 6, 1 through 14, listen, will work for every true Christian to see victory over sin. Not sinless perfection, but you will have the victory over sin. It will not have the victory over you. Every single Christian will, by the way, and no unbeliever will be able to use this formula to see victory over sin in their life. Why? Because this doesn't apply to you yet. What we're going to talk about Every Christian, if you'll take these three things, put them into your life, you will see. What I'm saying, every message is important that we've preached in Romans. But if you're a Christian, you might want to take today's little handout, tuck it in your Bible, and remember the date, and go back and click on this message and the previous one two weeks ago, as needed, and just remind yourself, and you will see God bringing victory in your life. I don't guarantee it. God guarantees it. So with that in mind, let's read our text today. I'm going to read Romans 6, 1 through 14, and then we're going to come back. We'll have the three instructions. There'll be the three points today. The first one, the whole point is a review of the previous message. But it's that important we need to do it. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Obviously, that's pointing back to chapter 5. Then, then what? After following chapter 5, what shall we say to all that? Are we... 
Christians. To continue in sin that grace may abound. Is that a good strategy? Are we to continue, we Christians, to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized, he's not talking about water baptism, all of us, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore. He died. We're in him. We died. So we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Why, Paul? In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life does not just mean 38 years ago, Jeff, in time. It means no, whole new kind. Newness of life, new kind of life. Brand new, the old life is not there anymore. And as I said two weeks ago, verses 5 through 10 restate it by adding a few little nuances. Verse 5. For if we have been united, earlier he referred to it as baptism. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, that's a key word, you'll see that in a moment. We know that, Christian, hear this. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified. With him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we, the idea if meaning since, now if we've died with Christ, Paul's making his argument. We believe that we will also live with him. Not just in the next life. We will live with him in this life is the idea. Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died 2,000 years ago. He died, watch this, this preposition, to sin. You say, I thought Jesus died for sin. He did. But he also died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then the four verses of our new text this week. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian, verse 12 is for us. Let not sin therefore reign. Don't let it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members. He doesn't mean church members. He means your body parts, the members of your body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been bought from death to life, brought from death to life. And, 
implied, present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. And we're not going to get to 14b, but we'll read it now. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And that will flow into the next, Lord willing, next week's message. Three instructions. I don't know if you just caught them. We're going to hit them this morning. You say, I want this victory over sin. How in the world can I have it? Number one, it has to do with knowing. And knowing means this idea, being informed. The word know is in verse 3. It's in verse 6. It's in verse 9. Knowing. You've got to know some things. You say, I want victory over sin. If you're a Christian, very simple, you need to know some things. Now, I'm going to recap. Last week, we looked at four thoughts. We had a question. We had an answer. We had an explanation and then a fourth point. I'm going to touch those quickly. What is the question? The question comes out of verse number one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This ties back to chapter five. Watch this. Chapter five, verse number 20. It won't be on the screen if you have your Bible open. I would encourage you to have it open all, all the service today. Chapter five, verse number 20. Here's what Paul says. He says, the law of God entered. So for thousands of years, we did not have the law of God, the written law of God. But it entered 3,400 years ago. And the result was two things. One, mankind's sin actually increased. If you thought the law was going to come in and do away with sin, that's not what happened. Our sin increased because we didn't stop living a certain way. We found out God actually not only hates these things that we already knew, he hates some things that we didn't know, and we keep doing this, and so because the things we now know that are sin that we didn't know before, sin increased, but the second thing is a good one. Grace increased all the more and abounded all the more to overcome our sin because God still saves sinners even though our sins increase. So here's what happened. Law comes in, sin increases, grace increases even more, And so here's the question. Hey, more grace is good. We don't just hear that God is gracious and merciful. We can see how gracious and merciful God is because look, he forgives all of this sin. Look how much he really is gracious. So the question is, based on that, should we as Christians like do more and more sin? Worse and more grosser sin so that we'll magnify the grace of God and everyone will really know how gracious God is look he forgives even that kind of sin and those kinds of sinners let's help God out by committing more sin there's the question should we do that the answer is verse 2 real simple I'm gonna be short by no means God forbid don't ever think it third thought we looked at last week was this the explanation well that seems like a good plan and Paul's going to give the answer And the key, I'm going to give you two keys to the past. I can't revisit it all. One of the keys to the explanation is the word continue in verse 1. It's very important. You have to get it. Paul anticipates the question. So here it is. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The word continue does not mean continue doing an act of sin. Oh, sin there. Wrong thought there. There was another act. Continue means unbroken pattern, lifestyle of sin. Habitually sinning. In other words, it's real simple. Should we keep on sinning like we did before we were saved, just continuously more and more sin so that God's grace will be exalted and magnified and it'll be great? Should we continue wallowing in sin like we did before we were saved? Paul says, no, God forbid, and the key is in verse 2 and 3. 
He says, how can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? If you want to write this down, we touched on this a good bit two weeks ago. Paul is explaining. So here's the answer. Here's the explanation. As a Christian, you should not continue in sin. Why? Because you cannot continue in sin. It is impossible for a Christian who has the Holy Spirit of God living in them to continue wallowing in sin in an unbroken pattern, lifestyle, dominated by sin. That is not possible. Verse number two, how can we who died, past tense, so we continue that note. Paul is not saying Christians, this is important, he's not saying we are dying to sin. He's saying past tense, we have already died to sin. So his explanation is, shall we continue in sin, just keep wallowing in sin, habitually, unbroken pattern, lifestyle sin after sin after sin after sin, just the whole way of life? Should we keep doing that? Paul says, no, because you can't. You shouldn't because you cannot. It is impossible. He's not saying you are dying to sin. He's saying you have already died to sin. And the key is verse 3, we've been baptized into Christ. The word baptized means, this is where it gets tricky, Baptized means placed into. So three weeks ago, I started saying something, and I, I warned you I'm going to say it repeatedly, and it gets corny, I know, eventually, but it's the only way I know how to get it across. If I'm in a car or an SUV that goes to Myrtle Beach, I go to Myrtle Beach because I'm in the car. If the car goes to Six Flags and I'm in the car, what happens to the car? Where it goes, I go. All of us were born in Adam, we're in Adam, so when he sinned, it counted as if we sinned, and we were there, so we sinned, that's why we come into this world sinners, we don't have to become sinners, we are sinners, we were in him thousands and thousands of years ago, born in Adam, but when we put our faith in Christ, God makes a spiritual law, it is complicated, it's way over my head, but he moves us into Christ, so that whatever happens in Christ, like that car, when Christ, this is important, when Christ died on the cross, picture it. He's dying. He died. See it? He just died. He said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He died. You died then. You died. And he was buried. You were buried. And then he came back to life. And you came back to life. If you miss that concept of, like, I died in 1979. 1979, I put my faith and trust in Christ. I am placed in Christ because God's not bound by time or space. He counts it as 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. Jeff Bartlett was in Christ, dying, being buried, being raised back to life. If you miss this dying in Christ, he is our substitute. We are in him. He's our, he's our federal head. He's doing everything that counts for us. I don't actually have to experience it, but it counts spiritually and in God's courtroom as if I've done it. All of that is important. If you miss the whole us dying thing, when we go into next week and in in chapter 7 about our relationship with the law, it's not going to make sense. Because when someone dies, their relationship to the law totally changes. So Paul's explanation, we can't continue in sin because we've died to sin. We were in Christ. He died on the cross for sin and to sin. We died in him to sin. So we cannot keep wallowing in sin as we did before. But then we ask this question. Okay, wait a minute. Time out. What about the spiritual struggle? If I really died to sin, 
back then, then why do I still struggle? Why am I still tempted? How come I still commit these acts of sin? A key, I think, is verse number six. Would you look at it? It won't be on the screen. Would you look at verse number six? Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Our old self crucified that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So here's a key answer. Brought to nothing does not mean that it was annihilated. Brought to nothing means the old nature was crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, authorityless. It has no authority. It has no power. So in other words, I'm going to make a statement. The old nature, the old Jeff, the old sinful desire Jeff died with Christ 1979 in my time and space 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross and the result is I died and my old sin nature died but it's kind of like a chicken with its head cut off that is still kind of running around trying to wreak havoc and scare everybody and act like it's still alive and the old sin nature tries to use our bodies, our physical body as a launching pad. Boy, if we can get, just use the body, the physical body as a beachhead from which we're going to launch our attacks like in World War II in June 1944 when we took Normandy Beach and Omaha Beach and our guys got there and they scaled that wall and they took out those guns and now we have control of this bring all the ships and all the men and then they swept up through France and eventually the war was won the old sin nature tries to operate from our body that way so the last thought on the first point of knowing is verse 7 look at it verse number 7 For one who has died has been set free from sin. Christian, this is key. I don't know their name, but in somewhere in the United States last night, a drug addict died. They were so addicted, they overdosed on drugs. But I'm telling you, this morning, because they died last night, they're no longer addicted to drugs. Paul is saying spiritually, That when as a Christian you say, well, I in my former life before I came to Christ, I was addicted to drugs or I was addicted to alcohol or I was a habitual nonstop. If I had a choice between telling the truth and a lie, I love choosing a lie. Well, that's your old self. When you died spiritually as a Christian, you died to that. It may still try to tempt you, but you are no longer addicted to that. A Christian is not addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol. Yes, those things still call, but you're not my master like you were before. I've died to you because Christ died on the cross and I died in him. Would you write this down? I believe many Christians spend long periods of time. I had an email on Monday and I tried to explain this idea. I think Christians spend long periods of time living not living in spiritual victory, you say, that's me. Or that was me for a long, long time. You say, how'd that happen if what Paul's saying is true? Many Christians spend long periods of time not living in spiritual victory because they've never been told. They've never been informed. They literally don't know. I'm going back to a quote that is not a direct quote, but Warren Wiersbe said, a lot of Christians are betweeners. They're living, literally living between Egypt and Canaan. You say, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, the children of Israel went through all these journeys, so they're in bondage, they're slaves in Egypt, but then they're brought out of that. 
And then you had the book of Numbers where they're just kind of wandering in the wilderness. And then you had the book of Joshua where they actually go into Canaan, the promised land, and they're having all these victories and winning the battles. You say, what happens between Egypt and Canaan? A lot of Christians spend like 40 years just wandering in the wilderness, not seeing victory. Saved, I'm a Christian, but not the victory. Why? Because they've never been told. You mean I don't have to keep doing those things? No, my job is to proclaim the truth to you that sin is no longer your boss. You do not have to obey it. You died to it. I died to it 38 years ago. And I'm still learning the truth of Romans 6. I'm learning this. Every time I employ Romans 6 in my life, I always have the victory. The first step is knowing. Again, Wiersbe says it's like some Christians live between Good Friday. Hey, Jesus died for my sins. I'm saved. But they never make it to the victory of Easter on Sunday. They're living like it's Saturday. They live most of the years of their life in Saturday. Born again, but not victorious. Not this, not this full power that the Lord gives them. So again, God wants you to know you do not have to obey your sinful desires. Now, number two. Now we get to today's new text. And it has to do, the second thought has to do with these words. Considering. Considering. You say, what's considering? It means being convinced. You're probably thinking, Jeff, you're about to split some hairs. I'm not. And neither technically is Paul, though it may sound like it. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give everybody understanding. I'm going to invite you right now. Holy Spirit, help me to understand what this is talking about. Would you look at verse number 11 and 12? So we know that we died with Christ. Yeah, but I'm still struggling. I don't understand. It doesn't seem like it's happening. Man, I'm still losing some battles here against sin. Sin seems to be reigning over over me. Verse number 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign. Don't do it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Step number one, knowing some things. It means being informed. I died to sin. I don't have to sin. Step number two is considering. It's the idea of being convinced. It has to do with faith. The whole Christian life on our end has to do with faith. Write this down. Faith is when God makes a promise and I'm just going to go ahead and live like God's telling the truth. Faith is when God makes a promise and I'm going to go ahead and consider that the, that the promise of God is true. Keep the note going. This whole section here is very important. I'm going to tell you, if you miss step two, your victory will be sluggish and spotty. It's ultimate. You're going to be victorious if you're a true Christian, but if you miss step two and just kind of skip it, oh, knowing, considering it's all the same thing. No, being informed theologically is one thing. Good, I've got good theology. Putting it into your daily life is a whole other ballgame. Paul says you have to consider. When God says something, you start living like he's telling the truth. Write this down. The word consider is an unreserved. It's not kind of reserved. I'm I'm thinking. I'm kind of holding back. I'm flirting with the idea. It's an unreserved assurance in a person's mind that what their mind knows to be true is true no matter what I feel. But God, what you say in Romans 6 doesn't seem to fit what I feel in my life or what appears to be happening around you. Faith considering something to be so is when God's word says something I know I am that 
because God's word says I am that. Did you catch that? What is faith? Faith is this. Can we go ahead and have that note, I believe? Faith is this. When God's word says I am something, I am that. God's word says I died to sin. It has no power over me. I do not have to obey it. I am going to go ahead and start living like that. And some of you may say, Jeff, this sounds like a mind game. This sounds like positive thinking. It's not. I want to do a quick word study. And you say, what, what in the world's a word study? A word study would be where we're going to look at this word consider that's translated consider here in the ESV in Romans 6. Let's track it down in three other places in the New Testament, the same root word, and you'll see that it's translated three different times, one of which is consider. But I want us to do this so that you'll see by stepping back, say, okay, sometimes this Greek word is translated as that and that and that, and if we put them all together, we'll get a good idea of what it means to consider. First of all, look on the screen, Mark chapter 11, verse number 31. Can you tell which word is the word consider? You say, I don't see consider up there. No, the Greek word behind it. Here's the setting. Jesus and his enemies are having a little standoff, and Jesus always wins, by the way. But they're trying to trip him up, and so he trips them back up, and he says, all right, let me ask you guys a question. Here's the question. John the Baptist's ministry, was it of heaven or of men? Was God's blessing on it, or did he just kind of drum it up himself? What's your answer? And so the Bible says, and they discussed it with one another, saying... If we say it's from heaven, then he'll say, why then did you not believe him? Then why in the world didn't you do what John the Baptist said? And this keeps on going and say, well, if we say that it wasn't from heaven, the people will have our head because they love John the Baptist. Do you see the word? Anybody want to guess which word it is? Disgust. You say, what in the world does it mean? I've got to know some things and I need to consider some things. The question, the Bible says, and they discussed it with one another. So you say, what does consider mean? Here it is. It means to discuss. It means to meditate. It means to contemplate on. I'm really going to think deeply about this. I might even say these things out loud. Did you catch this? You say, what does it mean to consider that I'm dead to sin and alive to God? It means you learn this truth, you believe it, God's telling the truth, whether I feel it, whether the circumstances look like it or not, what God's word says about me is true, and I'm just going to say these things out loud. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to really consider this. I'm going to contemplate this. Another verse, Romans 3, 28. Paul says, for we hold. You see that? Paul says, we hold. King James translates that. We conclude. Paul says, we hold that one's justified. Here he comes at the end of all this talk of how sinful we are. And Paul's conclusion is, he says, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works. After all that we've said there, all that truth, we surely can't be saved by works. It has to be by faith in what Jesus did apart from works. We conclude, put this thought in your mind. It means to reach a finished conclusion, a destination of thought that I'm not going to be moved from. Catch it? Previous verse, they're discussing, talking about it, meditating on it, contemplating. Here it is, I've reached a finished conclusion, a final destination. I will not be moved from this. Let me give you one more. Hebrews 11, 19. Look at this on the screen. The Bible talks about Abraham. Abraham, quote, considered, there's the same word, but watch how it's used. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham considered God's able to raise him from the dead. Who is him? It's not Abraham. His son, name, 
Isaac. Abraham considered it, discussed it, reached a final conclusion. I hold that God promised me I will be a great nation and that I have a, I have a special son. Ishmael, going to have a many descendants through you, the Arab nations. But Isaac's the special line. Isaac's just a young boy. He's not married. He has no descendants. God, you've called me to sacrifice, kill my own son. I don't know what you're up to, but I've concluded, contemplated, discussed it, reached a final conclusion, final destination of thought. You have the power. I am certain you can raise him from the dead. I'm going to go ahead and do what you say. And of course, God stops Abraham. It was a test. But on Abraham's end, it was certain. Hey, he loved Isaac. He never would have offered Isaac if he wasn't certain God can raise him from the dead. Christian God, if you're a Christian, God says you're dead to sin. You say, I don't feel dead to sin. God says you are. You need to contemplate it. You need to reach a final destination of conclusion that you'll not be moved back from and be certain. Sin, I am dead to you. You are dead to me. You are powerless. I know you're trying to tell me what to do. You have no authority. Things have changed. I used to be your slave. You're not, uh, you're not my master. I have a new master. And he says, you're not my boss. Leave me alone. And you say, well, you wouldn't really want to talk out loud like that. People might think you're crazy. Discuss it. This is real. Look at quickly, verse 11. <clears throat> I mentioned I'd probably need a little water from time to time. So, Look at verse 11. So verses 1 through 10 are all about knowing. So verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Paul says we need to contemplate, discuss, be certain we're dead to sin. So I've got to ask you, don't make a motion, I'm asking you out loud. You answer silently. Is there a sin in your life right now or the last few weeks or months? Be honest that in your mind you've come to this conclusion. I just, I just can't have victory over that one. Name it. Not out loud. Is there a sin in your life? Say, Jeff, there's this one thing. I'll just, I, I just I'll go to the grave. It'll always just, I, I just can't kick them. I just can't get rid of them. They just have a sway and a power over me. You are choosing to believe a lie instead of a fact of God. What I'm about to say is important. I'm not talking to you about a promise from God. If there is something even better than a promise from God, which there isn't, when God promises it's going to happen... But this is not a promise of something that's going to happen. You're going to have victory. You're going to kick it off. You, you, you're going to get the power over it. No, I'm telling you a fact that's already in place. This is past tense. You're just not living like it yet. This ain't a promise of something to come. This is a stated fact of something that's already happened. You are dead to sin. Sin is a dethroned former monarch. Man, he loved telling you what to do. Remember that one, the one you're thinking of? Man, that one just kicks my rear end every time. Yeah. He has a good track record of doing that, and you're acting like it's still that way. But he's been dethroned. Now, here's the thing. He hates being dethroned. He wants to kind of keep acting like, can we just act like things were like they were before? And then all of a sudden you read, most Christians don't know about Romans 6. They just go through life not knowing. 
But all of a sudden, you realize Romans 6 says, wait a minute, I've died to you, and all I have to do is now not just know it, I consider it so, and I'm going to have victory over you. Absolutely. That, that monarch is dethroned. Why would you keep letting it have victory over you? I'm going to propose to you, based on verse 11 and 12, take this note. Sin can only defeat and control the Christian if they choose to subject. You choose. In your will, you're choosing to give in. By the way, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to us. I'm in it. Jeff, you keep doing that or you've done that. That's because you're choosing to let it have victory over you. It, It doesn't have the victory. It doesn't have to. So Paul says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign. Now there's a real quick thing I've got to touch on. Look at verse 12. Here we go. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You say, how does it happen? Don't let it make you obey its passions in your mortal body. The word its, honestly, the first few times I read this, I thought it was modifying sin. Don't let sin reign, making you obey its passions. But that's not what it's saying. We're going to get a little technical. Some of you might miss this. Some of you may need to go back and listen to it again. Some of you will get it right now the first time. Here we go. Do not let it make you obey its passions. It is actually your mortal body. And actually these passions, this just means desires. And they don't have to be sinful desires. Your body, the one that's sitting there right now, has desires, does it not? Yes, it has desires. God ordained. God planted desires. He made you that way. But sin, the way it reigns in your life, it likes to come along and play on your passions and turn them into sinful passions. And when that happens, it all of a sudden now is acting like it's reigning over you and you're letting it reign over you. How? Let me give you a few examples. A normal passion, a normal desire, physical desire, sin comes in, wants to act like it's still the reigning king and twists. We use the word perverts desires. Normal good desire, but if we can pervert it, now sin's reigning. Here's one. You have a desire for food. God made you that way. Adam and Eve ate food before they sinned. God gave us taste buds. Y'all like chocolate, okay? More than collards. Some of you are like, I like collards. Lay off my collards. Okay, you keep your collards, all right? But a natural appetite for food can be twisted, turning us into gluttons for a certain thing. I want that, and I want a lot of that, and I can't live without that, and it has you under its power. Another, a normal appetite for rest. God made us, we need sleep and rest. And the book of Hebrews is a lot about spiritual rest. Not that he had to have it, but God even set an example of resting on the seventh day. He wants us to rest. But when rest gets perverted, we become sluggards and sloth. Just sleep all the time. Sin's now reigning. Good desire, run amok. Here's another one, the opposite of that person. God created us to work. Because of sin, work is now labor. But we're made to produce, and we like to produce, and we like to be productive and build things and do things. And some of us, if you're not careful, a good desire to work and build and and be productive, that's a good thing. You can become a workaholic. 
And some of you, that's exactly what you are. Why? Because sin takes this good thing and perverts it and twists it and you're like, my whole identity is based on what I do. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm nothing. You know, your identity is you're in Christ. That thing there pays the bills and opens up opportunities to minister. But workaholic, that's just sin. Another one, sex. God made us desiring sex. It is not sinful. But when we let a bodily desire, a passion, run amok and sin starts raining, all of a sudden we have lust for someone we shouldn't have it for. Pornography. Two unmarried people acting on sensual sexual desires committing fornication. Or one or two married people that are married to someone else, they're acting on, well, I've got these sensual sexual desires and they're committing adultery. Over here's someone committing homosexuality, same-sex behavior. Why? Because sin is reigning there. That is sin. Here's one. God made us communicable. We, we like to communicate and have conversations and talk. And by the, by the way, some of you love big groups. Some of you like one or two. And some of you like, I, I like one-on-one. But I just, and some of you like, I like to do it from here. Others of you from here. Others of you over a cup of coffee. You say, well, that's a good thing, right? God made us that way. He did. But when sin gets involved and tries to reign, all of a sudden it's not enough just to fellowship. We got a slander and gossip. And it just turned. And sin's reigning. Paul says you've got to consider yourself dead to sin, but also alive to God. Alive to God is in verse 11. Would you write this down? Just as sure as sin is vying for the Christian's attention, just as sure as that, even more, a Christian should feel God vying for your attention, calling you to flee evil calling you to do that which is right. Say, Jeff, boy, sin just lashes out and calls and tries to tempt me all through the day. That very well may be true. It's absolutely true. We live in bodies that sin's trying to set up a beachhead and launch out against our will from there. But I'm gonna go, I gotta tell you, if you believe the word of God and if you really are a Christian, then verse number, uh, chapter six of Romans informs us and now it's telling us to consider it so you are, now you've got to consider it, believe it, make it your final conclusion, your final thought of destination. And I'm not going to be moved from this. I know for certainty. Not only is sin still calling out to me, but I'm dead to sin. I am now alive to God. It, help, make it real clear. You ready? Christian, expect to hear from God. Expect it. You say, well, I know when sin calls. Have you learned what God sounds like? By the way, he's wanting to talk to you right now. If you're a Christian, you ought to say, I'm alive to God. I'm listening, God. So go ahead and listen. You say, what might God say? Well, I'll put down a few things. You might hear him say this. Turn that off. Huh? But this is my favorite. Turn it off. You might hear this. Talk to me. You might hear this, hey, talk to them. What? About what? You know about what. Talk to them about me. Maybe it's this, hey, don't finish that thought. Who's that? It's me. Don't even. You're getting ready to, and that's your old habit. Stop it. You're getting ready to turn the whole conversation to slander and gossip. Stop. Don't finish. Good. Now move it to something else. 
Maybe it's this. Maybe he's right now, the Holy Spirit, God is saying, oh, by the way, this passage is true. Or maybe he's saying this. Hey, you have extra this because they don't have enough of that. I gave it to you to give it to them. Yeah, that, yeah them right there. Go give them that what I'm telling you to give. I'm supposed to learn what God sounds like. He's talking to you. I promise. If you're a Christian, you're alive to him. You're dead to sin. Sin's still calling. Okay, turn that off. Turn him on. God's got a plan. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. Can we have the Colossians? And I've touched on this just for a moment. Look at that verse. Here's Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. Watch it because this is kind of, I'm going to draw a quick analogy. Paul says to the Colossians, and so from the day that we heard, they heard there was a church there, we, me and Timothy, we've not ceased to pray for you. Paul, what are you praying? Watch this. I'm asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But watch the next two things. How will they be filled with the knowledge of God's will? They'll have spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's two separate words. Watch. Spiritual wisdom is the word Sophia. It means I'm praying that you'll know and experience the will of God. How? By you'll know the principles of God. You'll know the principles. The word understanding is sunesis. You know what it means? To be able to take the Sophia, the wisdom, the principles of God and actually apply them into daily life. You say, Jeff, why are you having us look at this? Write this note. It's not enough just to know we're dead to sin. We must apply that biblical truth in the moments of daily life. You say, well, I know that I'm dead to sin, verses 1 through 10. That's great. But when life hits and sin's tempting, you've got to consider yourself dead to sin. Number three. Number three today is the idea of presenting. So if we had knowing as being informed and considering as being convinced of it, now we have this third thing. Christian, if you'll do this third thing, all three, can't skip a step. If you'll do this third thing, you'll see victory. Presenting means being surrendered. Being surrendered. So verses 1 through 10 are about facts, spiritual facts. Verse 11 and 12, do you believe the spiritual facts? Verse 13 and 14 gives kind of the third aspect. So here's a Christian in our midst this morning. They come to me and say, hey, Pastor Bartlett. Why did I say that? Don't call me Pastor Bartlett. Jeff. Uh, Jeff works great. Anyway, maybe we edit that out of the message later before it goes on the internet. Uh, Jeff, I'm struggling with sin. Maybe a good question, or someone comes to you, hey, I'm struggling with sin, but I'm a real Christian. Maybe a good question is real simple. How are you serving God? What do you mean? Well, maybe you're struggling with sin because you got too much free time on your hands doing that and you're not serving God. Because sometimes a good offense is the best defense spiritually. Sometimes we need a good offense is the best spiritual defense. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 and 13, I'm going to say it this way. Paul gives us a broad, do not do that, and then he gives a specific, do not. Watch verse 12. Let not sin, therefore reign. That one's very broad. Verse 13, though, gets more specific. Do not present your members, your body parts, your members of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. You know what that do not present means? Do not go on presenting your body parts as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, verse 13 in the middle gives a broad do 
So those were do nots. The middle of verse 13 gives a broad do and then a specific do. Look at the middle of verse 13. So don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself, the idea of your whole self, to God as those who have been brought, for, brought from death to life. And here's the specific, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So don't let sin reign by keep on giving the individual parts of your body for sin, but present your whole self to God as you are presenting individual body parts to God, the individual members of your body. Say, so what's this whole present mean? The word present means to place at one's disposal. Watch this, you ready? Sin needs something done. Sin wants a lie told. I need a lie told. Sin wants some bragging done. Sin wants a hurtful phrase yelled at someone that'll do permanent, irrevocable damage. They will never unhear that. Stop using your members. Hey, you need that done? My mouth's good for that. You need a lie told? You, want someone, you need someone lashed out in anger that they'll never forget what's said? I'm good at that. I'm your guy. Stop doing that. Here's one. Sin wants a mean-spirited text or post. Well, my fingers are really good at that. I'm your girl. Because I can light them up. You know what Paul's saying in verse 13? Stop it. Stop giving your body parts for that. But I'm fighting battles that don't need fought. Stop it. Here's one. I need someone to watch this filth and listen to this nastiness. My eyes and ears make great garbage cans. Stop. Stop doing that. Verse 13, do not present the members, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. See that phrase, present yourselves? Here's what it means. <clears throat> Once and for all. Once and for all. It's a crossroad of life. Have you ever been here, Christian, where once and for all, you say, God, I'm giving you my whole self. And now I'm going to present my body parts to you. He's saying, don't present, present. You ever seen this? You ever seen a little child? <clears throat> they got like half a serving of broccoli or, or peas left. Oh, mom, I'm, I'm stuffed. I'm full. And then she brings out the cake or the pudding. Well, then I guess you're too full for this. Well, whoa, 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 what's that? Well, it's the cake or the pudding. You said your stuff. Well, no, no, no. And that's when they inform you. And now hold on. There is this one little compartment of my stomach that is reserved for just such things as cake and pudding. And it's full as far as vegetables. But there's a little room left for a portion <clears throat> and maybe seconds of dessert. So Jeff, what's the point? Sin comes calling. As a Christian, we say, listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. My mind, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet <clears throat> are not available for sin, but God, they're readily, readily available to you. It's this. Have you ever done this? This is what he's calling for. Presenting. To lay it at the disposal of another. God, 
could you use my mind? God, do you have any use for my eyes, my ears? Lord, could you use my mouth, my hands, my feet? If you can use them, they're at your disposal right now. Verse 13, as we near the end. Excuse me. Verse number 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God... Grab a, a mint. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Instruments for righteousness. Let me tell you what the word instruments means. It's key <clears throat> as we near down the end. Instruments means weapons. Weapons. Present your individual body parts as God, to God, as weapons for righteousness. You say, why is this word weapons used? Instruments. Because there is a battle. Listen, grace for you. There is a battle. It's the battle of the ages. People's souls are in the balance. Yours, your family, the people around you. They're hanging in the balance. I literally mean it is a battle for the ages. Eternal ramifications are at stake. And your mouth is a weapon. What Paul is saying is, why would we ever give our weapons to the enemy? Stop using your body parts, the members of your body as instruments, weapons for unrighteousness and start using them as instruments for righteousness. If I'm in a back alley or if someone's getting ready to come into my house tonight and they're going to hurt my family... Why would I say, hey, whoa, buddy, listen, before you come in, I got to tell you something. What's that? I got a gun. You got a gun? I do. But, here, let me give you the gun. You say, no one in their right mind would give the gun to the enemy. But Christians do it all the time. There's this battle, and your mouth could literally make a difference for eternity, but we'll use our mouth to do the opposite. And God's saying, stop. What if one person at Graceview said, God, here's my mouth. Start using me to make an eternal difference in people's lives. I'll tell you what would happen. The enemy would notice it. What if we got crazy? What if like several people in Graceview? What if we got real crazy? All the people in Graceview started just going out and saying, God, my mouth, I'm not using it for that anymore. I want it to be an offensive weapon to change the world. And all of a sudden, we start telling people about Christ and drawing people to him. I'll promise you, the enemy would say, what in the world's going on in Anderson? I thought we had that under control. We did. There's nutcases going on over there off Centerville Road. They're out telling everyone, well, do something about it. Put a stop to that. They hate it. Your mouth is a weapon. Your hands, your feet are spiritual weapons to advance Christ's kingdom. I'm going to skip the last section. Verse 14, you see it? First part, 
Sin will have no dominion over you. How? Sin will have no dominion over you. How? Here's the formula. Christian, say, I want to have victory. Watch this. You need to know I've been theologically informed. I have been made victorious over sin because I died in Christ. I am going to consider that to be so as I offer the individual parts of my body, my mind, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet to the Lord. By the way, notice this order. Your mouth, I'm sorry, your eyes and your ears often determine what your mind is going to think. Because we think about what we look at, we think about what we listen to, and the mind directs the mouth, the hands, and the feet. I believe the mouth, hands, and feet are the main offensive weapons, but they're influenced by the mind, which is influenced by the eyes and the ears. Who are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you watching? Is it moving you to Christ's likeness, or is it moving you away from Christ? Who are you listening to? Is it making you more wise, or is it the, the counsel of the ungodly? Because what you're letting come through your eyes and your ears is affecting your brain, your mind, and your mind will cause you to talk about and do what it thinks about. So the way to be victorious, know that I'm dead to sin. I'm going to consider it so whether I feel like it or not. I do not have to obey that. And I'm going to be busy presenting God. Here's me, my whole self, once and for all as I present to you the individual parts of my body. God, can you use my mind? Lord, here's my eyes. Here's my mouth. Heads bowed. Eyes closed this morning. Thank you for your patience. Two quick thoughts. Both are for Christians this morning. First thought, Christian, please don't check out. Please don't check out mentally. This is important. What certain sin do you need to contemplate and reach a conclusion you are dead to that sin? You died to it? Name it. Not out loud. The one that you thought of earlier, you're like, I don't know that I'll ever have victory. Name that sin. What sin do you need to contemplate and reach a conclusion? And you need to right now say, God, help me to understand. I died to that. And it's still trying to boss me around. Lord, show me how to have victory. And then our second thought this morning is this. Verse 13 pointed to a specific day, a time, a moment, a crossroad in a believer's life. This is when they're no longer wanting to live in the book of Numbers. Like, I want to be in the book of Joshua. They don't want to just hang out on Saturday after Good Friday. I want to live in the victory of the resurrection on Easter. This is a point in a person's life. Literally, verse 13 is saying, present yourselves to God as one that's been brought from death to life. It is a one time, one time, once and for all. God, I'm giving you my whole self. Have you ever done that? And then the latter part of verse 13, I believe, is the daily 
practical follow-up to that. And it's where a Christian talks to the Lord and says, Lord, here's my mind. Lord, here's my mouth. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Lord, I'm going to start listening to what you want me to listen to, and I'm going to stop listening to that. I'm going to stop watching that. I'm going to reserve. I'm going to present at your disposal my ears, my eyes, so that my mind thinks the right thoughts. And Lord, here's my mouth. If you can use it, use it. Here's my hands and my feet. I'm giving them to you today. God, I want you to use me and my body parts as an offensive weapon of righteousness. So I'm just wondering, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to have Chris just play for a moment. Is there a Christian who's here this morning? Say, Jeff, I've never really heard or understood what Romans chapter 6 is talking about and what chapter, chapter 6 verse 13 is calling for, but I want to do it. I want to do it today. Never done this, but I want to give my whole life to the Lord or I want to give, God, I'm going to give you a specific body part that you've not had lately. I'm offering it to you. So I rarely say this. Often I'll say this is not a come forward invitation. I'm open up the altar, heads bowed, eyes closed the next few moments. Is there a Christian in the house say, I've never offered my whole self or I've never offered individual body parts. I want to give a member or certain members of my body as instruments of righteousness. Lord, I want you to use me. The altar is open as Chris sings this morning. You can use anything.